The market structure has shifted and people are clearly still allocating to Bitcoin. There's clearly still a lot of cash on the sidelines. And then you have, I've said this many times, you have rate cuts coming, in my opinion, in the next in the next three or four months. You have the halving coming, you have the ETF coming. And now this is what's at the forefront of everyone's mind. All right, welcome back to another episode of 1000X, our first episode since interviewing Anatoly, which was, by the way, a phenomenal episode. I learned a ton. And I think most of the points that Jonah brought up against Anatoly and Solana and his abuse of the Solana ecosystem, uh, Anatoly did a very good job dispelling all of those horrific lies that Jonah <laughs> decided to tell. So, you know, I definitely enjoyed it. I think the the listeners seem to seem to enjoy it. I don't know, Jonah. What did, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, we we got a debrief on that. We we didn't really debrief in the previous episode. We we spent an hour and a half with Anatoly just learning about Solana. I mean, here's the what here's what I learned that kind of changed my mind about that chain. So I had previously thought about crypto as an institutional settlement solution for you know like a database for big important trades. And ETH does just fine there. Um, there's a lot of TVL on ETH and everything. Anatoly made me realize that centralized solutions for microtransactions like payments or a few other types of smaller transactions like, you know, whatever's running Render and Hive Mapper and Helium, like that, that's probably better off in a decentralized world as well. I just didn't, I, that didn't factor into my thinking before. And so, why should all of that run on an ETHL too? Like I'm, I'm not a maximalist. I, I, I don't have any religion when it comes to trading. So I guess I think that he convinced me that Solana is as good as any solution for lower value transactions, which need to be fast and not, requ not require tons of gas fees. Um, less convincing. So I, I think that's a massive use case. And if Solana can pull that off, it's going to be, even more valuable than it, than it has become recently. Um, where I was less convinced or where I, I just, I felt like maybe I missed something or didn't understand as well was when he was explaining um, some of the, the fire dancer stuff. I like, I get that it's good to have a validator client that's laser fast, but I still, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that it's developed by one centralized trading company. Like we decentralization matters in crypto. And if everyone's running validator clients built by jump, I, like they got, there's got to be something in it for them other than altruism to build a, a happier, more equitable marketplace. Like I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about that. And he didn't really explain it, but he, he fucking crushed every other, every other argument I had against Solana. And he, you know, he, he really changed my mind on it. What did you think, Abby? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I agree with you. I want to dig into that point a little bit. I don't know how much it matters that Jump is building, is building Fire Dancer because here, here are the facts. It's going to be open source software. And so everybody, once it's live, once it's out there, once it's known, everybody's going to know how it works. And so Jump is probably building it, if I were to take a wild guess, because they have some sort of good relationship with Solana. They might even be getting paid on the back end. I don't know. I don't think it matters. Uh, as long as Jump can't co-opt the system because they've built the framework, 
then it's just a large company contributing to open source software, which happens all the time in Web2. All the time, you have large companies that contribute to open source software as just part of business. You have engineers at Facebook, at Google, at, at Apple that continuously contribute to open, open source software, not necessarily because uh, you know they, they have derived any immediate direct benefit from contributing to that software, but because they use the software, they find it useful and good and they want to improve it and they want to make it better because there are certain things that they need uh, out of their systems that they're not currently getting and they view the best way of getting those needs is to just build it themselves. Yeah, like meta building llama. That's a good point. Right. It becomes, it, becomes a, it becomes a public good as long as it's open source. So as long as you have that aspect, I, I actually don't necessarily view that as a negative. I, I view it as potentially a positive because Jump can bring in other people. And so while I agree, there's probably something going on behind the scenes there. I, I actually don't really care to find out. Uh, what I care about is, does it actually improve the experience of validating Solana? Does it, does it do deliver all of the benefits that Anatoly said that it will deliver? And I think the answer is very likely to be yes. And so now you have finally a monolithic L1 that is useful, that doesn't, that doesn't go down, that is, that is fast. And you have this embedded system where you can basically build whatever you want and your application will run smoothly. And so having that effective database underlying what could be the whole internet in the future is pretty bullish. Now, with all of that said, uh, one thing that stood out to me was he didn't really have an answer for what should the value of Solana be in the future. And I tried to press him on this. I tried to ask, okay, well, let's say that Solana is the one crypto platform that survives in 20 years. The only thing that people touch is Solana. If there's no mechanism to deliver value back to the Solana token itself, then does that Solana token deserve a high valuation? Uh, especially if we keep outpacing innovation on the scalability side, it, let's say you moved over every single transaction that could have ever possibly occurred in the world onto Solana, fees might still look quite low. And so, and in fact, they should look low still. And so you, you might, yes, you, you, you have a broader base of transactions that are going through that are delivering revenue, but if scalability outpaces the growth of transactions, then you end up with a token that probably isn't worth much in, in 10, in 10, 15 years. Now, with all that said, what are, we're, we're traders at the end, like, you know, me and you, we trade, uh, and a lot of people in the market trade and Solana has been a phenomenal bet since uh, you know, you, you first said that it was fucked, <laughs> and and I think that's that that's actually I, I see this over and over, especially in bear markets. The most hated assets actually do the best, and the reason is because hated assets generate an emotional reaction. Yeah, these guys, these devs, they're pouring their livelihoods into this yeah. chain, even though it's kind, it was on its knees for a while earlier this year. They get upset when you go and tell them that they're pouring their livelihoods into a doomed, you know, vaporware product, right? And that that came out when I tweeted against it. Maybe we should just like shit post against 
Polkadot and Nier and Tezos and I just, just see. Like, I don't think people would care. Cardano. I, and, that's, and that's the difference. I think yeah. even the Cardano people have given up at this point. <laughs> like, like shit post about anything that you want. Solana generates that, that reaction. It reminds me a lot of ETH in 2019, 2020. And so, look, I think Solana was a lot of people's first amazing trade in their lives. Like, yeah, uh, a lot of Sam got a lot of people. It was like the only trade that. that Sam made that probably made money. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe a lot of people got into crypto because of that and they're still uh, here. I think, I think that's accurate. I also think that, am I going to sell every little last bit of Solana that I own? If Solana hits 250, 100%, no question. I'm yep. That's just, that. that's just the way that it works because I, I view this as a phenomenal trade. I think that the usage of Solana, the cult of Solana is only going to grow. And I think that real interesting applications are going to be built on Solana. But the reality is at the end of the day, this is crypto. And I think the the application layer is where most of the value is going to end up accruing anyway. One thing that uh, Anatoly said that actually did stick with me is when you look at uh, when you look at Web two, the actual amount of applications that have generated usage is smaller than the infrastructure layer. Mm. Uh, in, not in terms of market cap, but in terms of amount of different things that exist, right? Mm. And I've, I viewed that as a, actually a very strong point, right? Like you think of like, okay, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, those are all meta, Google, uh, a lot of Gmail, a lot of these applications, uh, they're actually not that many in the grand in in the grand scheme of things. And so you might see the same thing happen with crypto. I mean, his argument was that you would see a very similar thing happen with crypto, where it's going to be a few select group of applications that get extremely large, that are extremely valuable, and that drive most of the economic activity on crypto. And that's actually okay. Uh, the question is which what are they going to be and and what is it going to look like in 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 five in five ten years I do think one slight difference is that uh, a lot of every you know basically everything in crypto is open source so it's a lot easier to compete with these products because you can just fork it tweak it improve it and launch and launch well, you see own. a lot of copy pasting going on in web two as well you know snapchat became successful and Instagram launched stories or whatever the fuck. I, I don't know. I'm not on either of those apps. I'm too old. But I, I think you bring up a really good point about the the applications that cause home runs. And it this also ties back into Solana and my my original thinking on Solana, which is like, look at the applications on Solana. This is, you know, circa nine, ten months ago. It's like you have Step In, right? Which is a walking app that crashes the entire chain. And then you have a bunch of um, Ethereum DeFi ecosystem clones and a bunch of NFT projects that are like trying to achieve. You have like the pixelated um, seagull things that look kind of like pixelated crypto punks, but knockoffs. And I was just like, okay, this chain is filled with applications that are not that useful. And the one innovative one of the walking app kind of like took down the whole thing. Solana has not fulfilled its promise. It's vaporware. And I, I was too quick to write it off what, what I should have realized at the time, especially when it was trading $8 a token, to my own credit, I didn't sell there, but, but I should have been buying. And the reason why I didn't was because I was like, look at this thing. It's, it's fucking broken and it's not fulfilling its promise. Uh, no reason to pay attention to it. Chains, and, and this is good, a good lesson for traders out there, like 
Chains can turn it around. Anatoly talked to us last week about how he fixed that flaw that caused Stepin to take down the chain. Um, and they're attracting new applications now. Like, fine, maybe Ethereum has more TVL on DeFi because it's a settlement layer for high-value transactions, but things like Helium and HiveMap are flocking to Solana, and those are the next apps, right? So, so you know, just because something's getting you know, getting beaten up doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's gone. It's going to zero. Uh, trends can reverse, uh, the, these devs who are super committed in one ecosystem or another, they can turn it around. And so I guess the big question for, for crypto traders out there is what's next, right? Solana started the year at eight bucks. It ripped up to 42. It's insane returns, right? Huge trade. What's going to pop next? Uh, you know, like, uh, we mentioned near Polkadot and Cardano earlier. Like, are any of those things com- coming out of the gutter? What do you think, Avi? So here's one thing that's happened with Solana that I think extends, and this is how I'm thinking about the market and how I'm positioning right now, is that there were many people that actually had a very bullish view on Solana that weren't positioned for it because they saw the supply issue of Galaxy uh, selling selling a bunch of Solana the FTX estate, right, going through them. And they knew that they wanted to buy, but they weren't exactly sure when to buy. They knew they had a two to three year thesis on this, but they wanted to wait for a better price. Then the market rips. And it turns out that the supply is being absorbed really nicely. And there there are actually a lot of other buyers in the market that these people are going are, are gonna to be competing with. And so something in the market has shifted, Jonah. We're seeing for the first time supply actually go the opposite way, that the amount of supply there is to sell, even if it's telegraphed, is less than the amount waiting on the sidelines that wants that wants to buy. And so what this has done is it's created a psychological shift in the market where people are now looking to good products that are delivering a good experience that may have been written off that people were waiting on the sidelines for the market to get hot again. Now people are coming back in and they're saying, wait a second, maybe I should be buying this stuff. All just a few examples of this. Blur, great example. Uh, it's a great product. It's used. It was hated by the NFT community for, in my opinion, Fugazi reasons. Oh yeah, it's tanking the. It's it's not. It's not tanking the NFT price uh, price floor. If people wanted to buy it, no, it's causing efficiency. That's what it's it's causing. It's, it's, it's causing efficiency. Yes, yes, you can get paid to list assets below to trade. But what it, you know, if, if people wanted to buy it at that price, they they can go buy it at that price. Right, if they, if they view it as a good, I wish Blur would tank the Fidenzas so I could buy some. So, so what do I what what am I seeing? Okay, Blur's now up a ton since 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 the lows because people realize it's a good product. If you like NFTs, if you like the direction of the market over the next five years, three years, one year, then you should probably own some. And a lot of people didn't because of the airdrop that's coming, uh, because of the supply issues. And I think people are starting to realize I can't just wait. I just have to buy a good value at, at a good valuation that I think at some point in the next year or two years, it's going to trade far above that. I'm seeing the same thing happen. Uh, we're seeing the beginning of it happen right now with uh, CryptoPunks, in my opinion. There are a lot of people that told themselves, when the new cycle comes, I'm going to buy CryptoPunks because CryptoPunks are going to rip really hard. And you're starting to see people position for that now. And people are going to get really worried that that's going to get away from them. So what this is causing, the psychological shift in the market is 
I need to go buy my cycle bags now. Otherwise, I will be screwed if Bitcoin goes to 50K. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get the entry. And the, on, on the flip side, it makes people a little bit more comfortable buying them because, okay, maybe it goes down 20%, maybe it goes down 30%. But at this stage in the market, I'm playing for a 3X. I'm playing for a 5X. I'm playing for a 10X. Yes. And so, yes, you know, maybe you don't blow your whole load immediately, uh, but what you do is you start allocating the things that you like long-term and that's shift. And BTC is, by the way, doing the same thing. So why do I think Bitcoin rallied so hard post, uh, you know, w- you know, over, over the last month? I think there's actually one specific reason. And this is when we got really bullish. I did not bottom tick. We didn't buy 25, 26 with size. We did buy 28 with size. Why did we buy 28 with size? Now, take a step back. The thing that rocketed Bitcoin up was the fake headline from Cointelegraph about an ETF being launched. We both have been talking on this podcast for so long about how that ETF is the catalyst. The hard part was answering the question, when does that catalyst start to kick in? The moment the fake ETF headline comes out, we trade 30, we we retrace down to 28, you have to buy. Why do you have to buy? Because everybody in the market looks at that and they go, oh my God, if the ETF drops tomorrow and we think, you know, 90% chance it drops by Q1 of next year, I'm so out of position. I'm going to be, I'm going to miss the whole thing. I have to start allocating now. So so it flipped, right? It, It was like a, Sometimes you need a catalyst to get people to position, to break them out of that mentality of, I'm just going to wait on the sidelines. That tweet, funny enough, even though it was completely fake, that was the catalyst. And so what you're looking for when you're trading the market, a market like this is you're trying to understand the drivers behind allocation and then what could lead to those people allocating if you have a view on this asset class that's positive. And so the moment that happens, you say, you say to yourself, well, okay, that was our catalyst. So now we probably get the ECF rally a little bit sooner than expected. I was yeah. not expecting this at 25K. I wasn't expecting it at 26. But the moment- At 25K, ETF, it was easy to just sit there right. and say, it's going it to stay easy. here forever, right? Because there was, there, was, there was no catalyst. There was no catalyst. And the way that I always frame things is that you have, with Bitcoin, you have two things that get people to allocate, momentum and value. 25K didn't really feel like value to me. In hindsight, I think I was wrong uh, on that. But you also very much so had momentum momentum to the downside. Once that tweet came out, once BTF, uh, e- the, the ETF tweet came out and BTC trades 30, retraces down to 28, you have momentum on your side and you have a catalyst to start allocating. And now we're just in an uptrend. We're trading 35K right now. We keep adding, you know, we're, 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 wa- we're waving it in anytime, anytime we get a dip. Cause we, we, we did, you know, take off a bit the first time we hit, we hit 30, 35 K. So anytime we trade below, it's like, okay, like let's, let's wave it in. Why? Because the, the market structure has shifted and people are clearly still allocating to Bitcoin. There's clearly still a lot of cash on the sidelines. And then you have, I've said this many times, you have rate cuts coming, in my opinion, in the next in the next three or four months. You have the having coming. You have the ETF coming. 
And now this is what's at the forefront of everyone's mind. The, the risk to buying Bitcoin is pretty limited here. Like I think the I, I I just don't think you can lose that much money buying Bitcoin at these levels. I hate you saying that so much. Because <laughs> why? Because I'm always wrong. No, <laughs> that's not what. I mean, I mean, you know, here's recently. the setup. Here's the setup. You have, like you said, the having. I think that interest rates have peaked. Uh, I think there's a an idiosyncratic once every four years fundamental catalyst, <clears throat> meaning less supply, less minor selling, can't fight the flows. Then uh, behind all of that, you have an institutional unlock coming. Like there are plenty of companies out there that just can't touch spot, but can touch an ETF, plenty of people as well. And so uh, all of that, like, that kind of caps your downside um, to me over the long run. And, and, you know, you talk about, hey, do you wait for a dip to buy Bitcoin or do you just ape in at current levels? I have a framework for this that I want to share. Um, so at Goldman on the commodities trading floor, this is before computers took over. There was a lot of shouting. You know, I, I would be market making all day screaming. I would go home every day with a hoarse uh, voice from just shouting out quotes on options and futures. And... One of the things that that sometimes would happen on the trading floor is some, you know, I'd I'd quote a tight market, and a client would come in and ask for a penny better on the bid or a penny better on the offer, and then they'd trade. And the joke on the floor was like, "Oh, so and so is being a dick for a tick." So there's this big sort of trading truism: don't be a dick for a tick. Don't don't just like try to ask. Like, what's that? that extra basis point or penny really matter to you in the long run for your, your trading horizon and your PL projection. Like if it's, if that's the difference between you buying and not buying, like you probably aren't in this for, for, you know, trying to make a lot of money. You're probably just being a dick for a tick, trying to scrape pennies here and there. And there's some truth to it, but at times, if you just overpay for everything, you'll bleed out. Right. So you have to develop a real framework. When do you just cross the spread or get in at levels that are well off the lows? And when do you hold off? When do you wait for a better price? So <clears throat> the framework I developed is what I like to call the bad risk, good risk framework. Basically, if you're looking at your, your portfolio, you have to assess whether you are holding toxic waste or pure gold. And you kind of have to be a little bit black and white about it. And not holding something can be toxic risk as well. Like if you're if you're passionate about crypto and you think this that Bitcoin's going to trade a million dollars a token in your lifetime and you're flat Bitcoin, that flatness is toxic risk in your portfolio. So when it comes to toxic risk, you need to get the fuck out of it. If you if you are long something that you think is going to zero, don't be a dick for a tick, just sell it. If you're effectively short or flat something that you think is going to rip, don't be a dick for a tick. Go and buy, even if it's trading 35000 and you wish you could have gotten in at 25000 It may never trade there again, right? Yep. Um, however, uh, in the meantime, especially with range-bound things where you're sort of like trying to assess or tweak exposures that you have that aren't necessarily toxic, I think it does pay to be a little bit patient. Uh, and not just get get excited about things at the same time as everybody else is getting excited. So I'll just tell you my view on Bitcoin, and then then I'll I'll stop rambling. Basically, I think that over our lifetimes, Avi, this is one of the most obvious trades in like in the history of finance. There is a, a an asset that has been accepted as a store of value and a means of exchange 
and a basically a global reserve asset that's already kind of given. The genie is out of the bottle there and it's not going back in. And the supply is constrained. The stock and flow dynamics are such that only 21 million of these things will ever be minted. And so given that that's the case and you can't do an oil, crude oil thing, go and mine more of it, like I think this thing is going to go parabolic throughout our lifetimes. So I am still buying Bitcoin here for myself. Like I think, I think it's going up a lot and I don't really care. Uh, Solana, I'm less sure of. And so I would not be adding at current levels uh, after it just, you know, five to six axed off the lows. Um, Damn, that's the most bullish thing you've ever said. Yeah, that's that 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 that's a that's a big statement. I mean, I I, I agree. I, I maybe I'm a little just more tempered in that. I think that we can. I'm not I'm not holding this for a million uh, bucks a token. I, I didn't say that to my <laughs> view, but I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's uh, it's, it's not crazy. Like if you said it, you wouldn't not be crazy. you wouldn't be laughed out of a, a room. Like people would listen to your opinion and debate you, but it's not like wow, this guy's full of shit, you know. But, but even 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 a hundred thousand dollars a token, right? Peter Thiel has this amazing, amazing framework. He was like in technology, and let's not forget, crypto is tradable technology. It is software. He says people overestimate the probability of a broken thing working and underestimate the uh, the probability of a thing that's already working going up. And he's like, that's the arbitrage, right? He's like, yes. pick pick like series C companies and buy them. Yes, they've ripped a lot. They're up 100x from the seed round, but they work. They're proven. They're going to go up a lot more. If something's like struggling along at the seed or series A level, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And so yeah. I think now might be a time to lean into the stuff that's actually working in yeah. crypto. Solana might be one of those things if you see apps flocking to it. Paul, Paul, Paul Tudor Jones said something basically the exact same in concept, which is losers average losers <laughs> and, win, and winners average winners, right? That's a good one. That's, you know, betting, bet, that, that's why when I look at the market right now, I'm buying the winners. The other thing that I wanted to, I, I wanted to point out is that uh, right now, the, the way that the market is trading is, is kind of nice from a technical perspective. And so if you want to technically trade BTC, j just go on Coinalyze, uh, pull up three things. Pull up open interest, pull up CVD on spot instruments, and pull up CVD on futures instruments. And when you see shorting in the market, it's been a really just great short-term trade over and over. Uh, so for example, we just did a trade um, where uh, Bitcoin was heavily shorted. It sold off to... Uh, 34,600 bought 34,600. Uh, and then now I guess it's, th it's 35,400. So a portion of that trade will, 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 will come off, but you just saw so many shorts come in like nine K VTC worth of, worth of shorts come in. And those guys have tended to get squeezed at the bot at the bottom of this, what I call like a, an, an up accumulation range. Uh, and so that's like a, that's been a really interesting short-term trade that, that you can take out. That's been happening pretty frequently. I think it's happened uh, three times so far, f actually f four times so far in the last uh, in the last two weeks. I used to not believe in technicals, but then um, after spending a little bit more time reviewing that thesis, I found the technicals are pretty much all there is to trade on systematically with a time horizon of under an hour. So if you have a, a computer trading for you, it's technicals are all you got. But then. 
on the longer term things, like I still don't really believe you can make money trading, uh, t- taking investment views on technicals. However, I do believe that you can apply technical technical analysis to what in crypto, let, let's call it fundamental indicators, which in crypto means things like Glassnode's MVRV metric or C- CDD metrics. And when those things start to show momentum, then you can use that as an input to trade the underlying asset, which is Bitcoin or ETH, and that that actually does work. So I would I I would I would one hundred percent agree agree with that. Um, you know there there were some really interesting uh, I- interesting charts that are that are coming that are coming through recently. Uh, you, you actually you you actually are starting to see the stable coins um, the the decline of stable coins start to level out. Over the last, over the last two three weeks, so I think money is money is actually coming into the, com, coming into the system, um, and you're also you're you're seeing you're you're seeing froth come back to the altcoin market, which sometimes is bad, uh, but I remember back in in, in twenty in twenty twenty one, we had extended periods of high funding for a long time, and I wouldn't necessarily call this extended yet. Altcoin. There, there are a lot of altcoins out there that have had positive funding for two, three weeks now and haven't really pulled back. And it's not like egregiously positive funding. It's just reasonably positive and OI growth is reasonably good. And that actually is an indication that there's, especially because Bitcoin is holding the highs, that's the key, that there actually is new money coming into the system. Because otherwise, what you would expect is you would expect... like. The danger zone is Bitcoin's trading at 34K and alts are roofing and funding is roofing. What that means is that capital is recycling from Bitcoin to alts. But what you have now is you have Bitcoin at the highs and alts sustaining funding, high funding. And so that's actually not necessarily as dangerous. And I think a lot of people were pointing this out. I saw on CT as as a dangerous thing, Um, but it's more dangerous when Bitcoin isn't trading well. Uh, when Bitcoin is trading well, you can actually have that dynamic persist, and it's an indicative of new money coming in. And so, the way that I view this market right now is, I'm looking for 40 to 45 in the next month. Uh, at which point, uh, I probably take my exposure down a ton, rotate into alts that I think are really uh, like prone for a catch up. Hopefully, ETH BTC gets nuked at that point. Still, uh, and I, you can rotate into ETH for the ETH uh, BTC catch up trade. And then you start filtering down. You can buy things like Optimism, Arbitrum, Lido. And then once you get the ETF approval, you can sort of say goodbye to the trade for the time being. Yeah, I mean, I'm too much of a chicken to rotate out of BTC if it trades 45. Like I'm adding here. I think that I've been adding for, you know, very slowly, admittedly, but for a long time um, since 25, I'm still adding now. And I've been adding via GBTC because I think there's convexity there. And I think that Bitcoin will trade $70,000 a token before the end of Q3 next year. So given that view, I'm too scared to sell any BTC to rotate into anything else because I uh, I just think, yeah, sure, there, there might be more reward in Lido, but there's, I think, so much more risk that it doesn't justify that reward. 
I'd just mm. rather stick with BTC and, and keep keep it oh, keep it chunky. That's that's okay. You can stay poor. That's fine. <laughs> like, I don't, I, you know, it's and NGMI or did did that die during the last cycle? I'm a trader, man. I look for I I I, I love these types of catch up trades. If you can, uh, if if you can accurately if you can accurately move, I think what one thing that's still true is that there are not that many people that are playing the market aggressively right now, and so you're seeing a lot of lag uh, in in the market sort of across across the board. Uh, like the ETH, the ETH BTC trade, for example, that was an example of that. Uh, very rarely, even if ETH BTC looks really bad, do you get a, such a rip from Bitcoin and no move from ETH? And I think it just took people a little bit to acclimate to that, um, even though theoretically ETH should be the second most watched asset. And so I think you're going to see the same thing down downstream. So overall, I think what we can say is that we're extremely bullish on the market. There, 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 there are a lot of there are a lot of really interesting ways interesting ways to play this. What I'd advocate is that you just start paying attention to patterns because pattern matching is going to be really important right now, and there are going to be a lot of really interesting ways to make money as the market heats up, just by noticing how the market reacts and trades to certain scenarios where money flows uh, and the tokens that are correlated that might be that might be lagging uh, that you can trade for catch ups. Uh, there's there's a there's a lot of really interesting really interesting stuff to do in the markets right now. Maybe on the next pod, uh, I can I can detail some of that exactly how to do it. I think that that might that might be fun for for our listeners. Yeah, I mean I agree. I think uh, I, I wrote a, a Twitter thread about how to use Twitter as a trading tool, and this guy responded to it with a pretty this is best trolling ever. It was uh, he he wrote how to draw an owl. And then the first step is draw two circles. And the second step is draw the rest of the fucking owl. Um, and then it's like a beautifully drawn owl. And I kind of think that what you just said, Avi, deserves a bit of trolling. It's like, it's like, yeah, you just do some pattern analysis. It's it'll come. Okay, uh, fine. I'll, I'll be I'll be I'll be more I'll be more concrete for the listeners out there. Uh, download a series of price. Uh, download a series of price data across the top 50 coins that you can trade on perpetual futures calculate the rolling correlations on a 30 day on a 30 day time period uh, then calculate the uh, the z score of those of those correlations um, and then what you want to do is you actually you, you actually want to sorry uh, calculate the correlations predicted correlations of those then take all the assets and compare them again, compare the prices against each other and then find divergences in those correlations. So for example, this historically has been correlated at 30, but over uh, the last one day, over the last three days, they've actually diverged significantly in price and the correlation is much lower than you would expect. One is one is could totally outperform the other and then bet on the ones with the highest divergences. As an but like like play the catch up. So let's say that Ave and Compound have a very high price correlation historically, and then they diverge because Ave rips and Compound lags. Then you're supposed to buy Compound or sell Ave or do both. Like play the pair trade. Um, that kind of exactly. Thing. Okay, that's exactly. Smart. So there's okay something concrete. So it's not just draw the rest of the fucking owl. You can go do that very simply. No, I love it. Uh, what else? What other what other fun things can you do in this in this in this market environment? You could just buy Bitcoin and wait. 
I think you could buy CryptoPunks. I'm getting bullish. I think that, you know, if you, if you look on the block, they have a great NFT volume tracker. Um, <clears throat> you know, NFTs are just like ultra levered crypto, uh, punks and apes. The floor is still near the lows. That could be an amazing catch up trade. Uh, just buy a floor punk or, or party Dow your way into a floor punk, um, or, or something like that. Uh, you know, I think they're, the fact that volumes are picking up in NFTs means it's a sentiment indicator. It means that people who have been hibernating in this crypto winter are starting to feel a little bit less terrified. And that's, that's pretty good. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't usually like looking at the fear and greed indicator that gets published occasionally because I think it's too, it's either like max panic or max greed. Like it doesn't give you, um, yeah, doesn't give you longer term signals. So I don't use it, but I think NFT volumes, that's a real one to pay attention to. And we are picking up off some pretty drastic lows. To, it's getting interesting quickly there. That could be a good one. Um, I think that the, like, I just, I feel bold right now. I don't think there's a lot of risk. There's just too much tailwind going on. I think what could really smoke crypto, if I'm just trying to like think of things that could, that could take it out, some sort of crazy government default scenario or a massive recession. But another reason why I feel confident around those geopolitical and macroeconomic uh, risks is that the last three to four times we've had serious risks like that, like 2008 and COVID were, were the two big ones, and then a couple of other ones like 2018, taper tantrum, the government just turns on the fire hose of money and, and crypto is literally purpose built to hedge your portfolio against those scenarios. So I almost think like, bring on the crisis. That's a dip to buy uh, because of the anticipated response. Um, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's very accurate. Uh, all, 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 all I'll say is I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that this, uh, this continues, this continues trending, trending in our direction. I think this is a really good time for Bitcoin because it's also decorrelated a lot from the broader markets. And so you have a lot of strength in BTC when other things are doing poorly. And so if people are searching for return, especially on the macro TradFi side, then that starts to look, uh, start, Bitcoin starts to look a lot more interesting here. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I talk to my friends outside of the crypto market and they look at me like I'm diseased. Like I've been, like I've been wading through nuclear waste with the last two years of my life. Meanwhile, if you just look at the board, look at, look at Bitcoin. Like, yeah, it was down a lot in 22, but if you didn't invest in it this year, you're just making excuses for your underperformance uh, at this point. Like it's stellar. And and this isn't like something that most people can't touch. You could have, you know, let's, let's just do a victory lap, Bobby. Since January 1st, we've been telling people to buy GBTC. How much is GBTC up on the year? I think 230%. ETH's up 200. I think, by the way, ETH's still a great trade. Me too. You And you can throw this this stuff in your you know, in your Schwab or your Fidelity account, it's not like you need to set up cold storage and have people guarding it with guns. Like it's, it's accessible. I think what you're trying to say with the beginning of this discussion is that if you listen to everything that we say, you make money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easy, easy. Just draw the fucking owl, you know, just draw, just draw, just draw the fucking owl. No, actually it's funny. It's funny because like I view this podcast as a as, as a chance for us to explain how we think about things but the reality of the situation is that we change our opinions every 30 seconds 
I don't think we've changed our opinions on being bullish crypto throughout this. That well, no, you know, we were, you know, I was, I was bearish. I was tactically bearish for a bit. I got some calls wrong. Um, you know, in aggregate, we've had a very good year, and I think most of the calls have been pretty good. But you know, the, because because you 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 have to, you just have to adjust your opinion when information changes, right? You just have to. And and that's I think that's a great lesson for the listeners, not just like yeah, change your view when when the information changes, but also like put your views out there. Like we're podcasting right now. Uh, 600,000 people looked at this tweet and then like half of them when came after me and called me a clown, that's good because that, then I learned something, right? Like if, if you aren't putting your, your opinions out there on the table and just laying it all out in the open on a podcast or on Twitter, you're never going to solicit any feedback. You're just going to live in your echo chamber. You're going to miss stuff and get stuff wrong. That's what trading floors used to be so good for when they were just sort of like open outcry places. Um, you were, you were just constantly absorbing information and debating things. And now a lot of that has migrated online. It's on, it's on Twitter X or whatever it's on, uh, it's on Spotify. It's here at a thousand X. So we're just, you know, if you think that, if you think that we're wrong or you think we're missing something or you think the GBTC discount is going to widen to 90%, like hit us up, we'll respond. Let's talk. Like, let's figure this out together. Uh, maybe we should be rotating out of GBTC and into spot. Maybe we should just be selling it outright and waiting for a dip to buy. Maybe we should be like adding, not being a dick for a tick because this thing's going to double or more. You know, we, we want to talk about this stuff. Talking is how you you adapt and improve your process as a trader. I agree. So I think uh, that's a good that's a good note to end on, Jonah, with this little nugget of knowledge that you've given to everybody. As always, I love chatting with you. Likewise, this has been this has been a fun pod. It's great. We'll have to find somebody even crazier than Anatoly to come on. To give us uh to, to give us a schooling next time. Maybe this time I'll do the drunk tweet. <laughs> and uh, we'll see. I wasn't that drunk. I just had, no, just had a couple of laughs of wine. But it, but it's it's such a good story. <laughs> it's just such a good story. Dude, great to see you as always. Let's let's try to find some guests. If anybody wants to be on the Thousand X pod, DMs are open. We want to talk. Yes. All right. Take care, everyone. Later. Until next time.